instead of facing head on into the wave and going over it, I tried to take it from the, uh, from the stern, from the back of the boat and got caught, uh, almost sideways. And there was definitely a split second there that I thought I was going over. Luckily I was able to, uh, keep her upright and took on a little bit of water, but, uh, yeah, that one definitely got, got the heart pumping a little bit. Episode 321, paddling 2,300 miles down the mighty Mississippi with Will Collins. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey friends, I have a special announcement for you before we start today's show. I'm really excited about this. Travis and I have been putting together a little surprise. We are going to add an additional episode on Saturdays most weeks. And I say most because it probably won't happen every single week. Our Monday and Thursday shows are every single week, as you know. You can rely on that. That is important to us to make sure that you get those episodes dependably. But the Saturday episodes are bonus episodes, and they're completely different than the Monday-Thursday versions. I actually am a writer, and I wrote a book over 20 years ago, and I thought it might be fun to uh, read segments from the book as kind of a, a Saturday story hour or story 30 minutes. It's something for you to hear that uh, might add some perspective and, and be kind of fun, the book is called 8240, One Family's Life Above the Clouds, and it's about living, obviously, at 8,240 feet, about the lifestyle, about the life experiences. It has a lot in there about encountering nature living in the forest. And it's about my family's life when uh, we were a young family, just getting started. In the book, I mention two children, and sometimes only one, depending on what time the the setting is for the book. But in the end, we had four. We ended up moving to another house in the mountains, and now we've moved to another house deeper in the Rockies. So a lot has changed since then. But if you have ever wondered what it's like to live at altitude, and it is quite different, if you've ever wondered about that, then this book is for you. The readings won't be terribly long. It might be a fun thing to do while you sip your morning coffee or tea or... Or maybe to listen to while you drive to whatever adventure sport that you are planning for this Saturday. Regardless, hope you enjoy it. Please do download the Saturday bonus episode, give a listen, and then we really love to hear back if you think this is something that works. We need your feedback. Trying something new? Let us know what you think. Now on with the show. Hi friends, Kurt here. Thanks again for tuning in to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I've got a really special treat for you today. We caught up with Will Collins. He is currently on his adventure going down the Mississippi in a canoe, full length of the Mississippi. I'm really excited. You can hear the crickets and the frogs and stuff in the background. He's actually out there right now. So Will Collins, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Kurt. Really, uh, really excited to, to be on the program. And uh, I've, I've loved uh, listening to some of the past episodes as I've been uh, cruising down the water and cruising down the Mississippi. So uh, happy, happy to be here. Well, that's a lot of fun. 
So, Will, I don't know a lot about your background, but I love what you're doing right now, and I want to hear about it. Uh, I'm going to divulge something here. Just the last couple of weeks, I've crossed the the actual source of the Arkansas River probably six times in the last four weeks. And I keep on looking at that because the Arkansas River flows near my hometown in Oklahoma where I grew up, and I keep on thinking, man, I could... I could get a, an inflatable, you know, kayak, and I could take that until I got big enough to just prefer a canoe, and canoe all the way back to northeastern Oklahoma. And it, that's been kind of just a thought, a seed in the back of my mind. But here you are doing that, not on the Arkansas, but on the much bigger, much crazier Mississippi River. Man, that's crazy. So what, <laughs> what got you thinking about going on a trip the length of the Mississippi River? Yeah, it, it's been a blast, Kurt. I'll tell you what, uh, it, it's it's been utterly amazing. I'm on day 65 here uh, at the moment, but uh, getting the ball rolling in terms of what made me want to do it, um, I think it's just an adventurous soul. It's really just uh, for the sake of adventure that I wanted to, to try it. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, paddling the uh, rivers and lakes of northern Wisconsin, and I was lucky enough to... Uh, to go to a summer camp that, uh, that got me outside and got me, uh, you know, acquainted with, uh, with the wilderness. And I kind of had a, just a taking to it. Um, and I was able to do some longer trips and bigger trips as I got older. And in the back of my mind, I always knew that I wanted to do a big trip. Um, I wasn't quite sure what that trip was. Uh, and then for whatever reason, the Mississippi river, it just, uh, just pulled me, um, I think it's it's just a really massive and beautiful and amazing river and a resource that we have in this country. I mean, it drains uh, 31 states. And, you know, any state in between the Appalachian Mountains and the Rocky Mountains, the watershed eventually dumps into the Mississippi River. Uh, it spans, uh, you know, the, the border of 11 different states. So I start in northern Minnesota and I'll end up uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, south of uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And, uh, you know, you have the Nile River, you have the, uh, the Amazon, and then the Mississippi is right up there. And uh, for whatever reason, it just drew me, and uh, it's, it's been an amazing adventure so far. Mm. Sounds really, really cool. I've long wondered what it would be like to go the length of the Mississippi. That's the kind of adventure that tickles my fancy, if it's one way to say it. <laughs> and here's a, a lesser-known fact. And it might be depending on how you measure things, but I'll go ahead and present it anyway. If you counted the Mississippi, where the Missouri and the Mississippi come together, if you counted Mississippi as a tributary and the Missouri as the main river, so we just reversed which river was the main river, then that water system, the Missouri River to New Orleans, is longer than the Nile. Yeah, it's 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 pretty mind blowing when you start to look at all those numbers. And uh, I mean, I'm sitting on the shore right now here, uh, not too far from Cairo, Illinois, the border of uh, Kentucky and uh, and Illinois. And man, it's a big river. I got a big sandy shore here, and I'm looking across the way. There's some big stone bluffs, and uh, and the trees are turning. And uh, it, it is a big, big watershed. And uh, I think it's a little, it's a little. Um, it's gone to the back of our minds as a conscious, I think, in the country. I, for whatever reason, folks think, think it's polluted or it's, uh, it's dirty or uh, I hear those terms fairly often. But I couldn't be further from the truth from my experience so far. It's, it's been pristine and, uh, 
you know, it is well traveled in terms of barges and, uh, and shipping routes, but man, it, it's just been amazing. Big islands, uh, lots of water flowing and, uh, and it's been, it's been beautiful. Hmm. Well, I was just kind of looking up river at the, the areas where you have already been and maybe, uh, you know what? I want to go down your route so far and pull in some of the experiences that you've had along the way. But before we dive into that, because that's really the meat of the show here, I'd like to rewind a little bit and visit more about how you came to do this. You mentioned that you, uh, did you grow up in Wisconsin then? No, I, I actually grew up in, uh, in Northern Illinois. Uh, I went to a summer camp called, uh, I'll give them a shout out here, Camp Manitouish YMCA. Uh, I was, uh, in Northern Wisconsin as many summer camps are. And, uh, had the opportunity to yeah go, go on camping trips and you know not your RV trips but uh, in tents and paddling and cooking on a fire and uh, as as a kid I was able to do that and as I uh, progressed through that through that camp I was able to go on a 30 day canoe trip in uh, Saskatchewan and a uh, 45 day backpacking trip in Alaska and uh, those two trips man that really changed my life kind of cemented. Uh, adventure for me and uh and uh, longing for wild places mm. uh and, and ever since then i kind of knew that i needed to do some sort of big trip and uh and for whatever reason the mississippi pulled me in awesome so then after that you went to uh cu university of colorado is that right i did yeah go buffs yep i, I was uh studied in boulder studied journalism there in boulder and uh yeah, loved it and got out in the mountains of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, it's also a, has a big piece of my heart, the Rockies, uh, skiing and, uh, and, uh, a little bit of climbing and, uh, fishing and, and all the great stuff that the Rockies have to offer. And, uh, lived and worked in Denver for a little bit after that, uh, doing some radio stuff and then, uh, moved to South Dakota, uh, did some radio stuff for about two years in South Dakota before I, uh, decided to, take the plunge here uh on on the mississippi and, and i'll be returning to south dakota after the trip as well wow okay so what is it that made you say to yourself now's the time that gave you the i, I guess the the boot out the door to actually yep. take on this epic adventure right now at this point in your life well, it had been something that I always wanted to do. Uh, I, I thought about doing it the year before, and uh, for better or for worse, probably for worse, uh, you know, I, I let the voices in my head and uh, and people talk me out of it. Uh, you know, your career, this, that, uh, you know, stick with what you're doing. And then by the time uh, this summer came, there was just something in, in my gut that uh, you know, that, that I couldn't keep down that told me you have to just do it. And it was scary, man. I'll tell you, it was, it was scary, uh, walking in my boss's office and, and, and the weeks before that, uh, you know, thinking I, I thought that I was going to have to quit my job. Uh, so that, that was kind of the plan and, uh, it was kind of gut wrenching that time, but I knew for whatever reason, I, I knew deep down that I had to do it. And, uh, so I walked into the boss's office, uh, and the day before I, I thought, well, you know what, rather than just quitting straight up, why not see if there's an opportunity to come back? So, uh, sure enough, I pitched, uh, you know, that, Hey, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is kind of a bucket list trip. Uh, 
I, I love working here. I'd love to come back if, if the opportunity is there. If not, uh, I, I understand and, and I'll be on my way. But uh, I, I like working here. I love the people that I work with. So if I could come back after the, the trip, uh, I'd love to do that. And, and sure enough, uh, that's stuck. So that's that's the plan as of now. Right on. So it doesn't always work out that way, but you got to the point where it was a, it was a matter of if I have to quit my job for this, then that's too bad, but that's where it's going to end up. But you got the leave of absence instead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's maybe one of the takeaways for me from the trip is that uh, you never know until you try. You know, you, you never know how things are going to go. You have all of these ideas in your mind about the way things might go down or, or what might happen or the way people perceive you. Uh, but if you actually take the time to ask them and, uh, and rather than having in your, your own perception of what they're thinking, uh, if you take the time to ask them, lots of times it's, it's different, uh, in reality than, than what you think, uh, how things would unfold. Hmm. I, I like that. That's encouraging. It's, it's a reminder to us all to not just assume things, you know, if you have a big dream, then kind of check out the parameters. You might find out that there are doors that can open up you wouldn't anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really, really cool. So you're doing this solo, it sounds like. I am. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't uh, I couldn't find anybody uh, crazy enough or dumb enough to join me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it is now the end of October, and you've made it to the southern tip of Illinois. So it sounds like you're probably going to stay ahead of the worst of winter, but you've probably already had some pretty cool nights. Yeah, last night was certainly uh, certainly a chilly one. I, I, uh, I woke up to uh, some uh, condensation on the inside of the tent, and uh, not nothing too crazy. I think it was hovering, uh, you know, around the uh, low 40s, um, maybe low, uh, high 30s. But uh, I, I'm prepared for the cold weather. I've done some winter camping and cold camping, so I, I got the gear and. Uh, but yeah, I'm hoping to stay ahead of it uh, for, for most of the part as I keep traveling south. It's, it's been pretty cool, too. As I started uh, in northern Minnesota at the headwaters of the Mississippi near uh, Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, and as I've been traveling south, I've almost been following the line of fall. Uh, the trees were starting to turn up in northern Minnesota, and as I've been traveling south, uh, it seems like the same amount of trees are, are turning here in, in southern Illinois and in between as well. So that's been kind of neat. Oh, that is neat. So you're on day 65. It's the end of October. So what day did you start? Sounds like maybe August. Yeah, I started, uh, it would have been August 23rd was my start date. August 23rd. The, uh, yeah, from the headwaters of the Mississippi, where it's just a little babbling creek. So did you start in August because it just happened to be August? Or was that the plan to try to do a fall trip? No, yeah, it just, it just worked out that... Uh, that's when I got the goal to uh, to make the trip happen, and uh, just so happened uh, uh, to work out then. But it's been it's been uh, it's been great, as I mentioned, the fall colors, and plus with a little bit of the cooler weather, uh, certainly hasn't been cold. But with a little of the cooler weather, uh, they kept some of the mosquitoes down in in the wilderness of northern Minnesota. Which, uh, if you've ever been up there, you, you know that's uh, that's no joke. Yeah, yeah, no joke at all. So I've been, just kind of as we're talking here, I've been tracing the Mississippi River, and I've made it into northern Minnesota, <laughs> and, and I'm starting to lose track of it on my, on my poor map. <laughs> so 
where is the beginning of the Mississippi and what does that look like? Is it possible? I know that a lot of people have wanted to be able to actually go from the Great Lakes and somehow get to the Mississippi, but it doesn't look like that's the actual headwaters. No, yeah, the headwaters, uh, which depending on who you ask, uh, there is a little bit of controversy surrounding where the actual headwaters are. But for all intents and purposes, uh, the headwaters that uh, most folks have been considering for the last couple hundred years is uh, is a lake called Lake Itasca. It's about a 45-minute drive from uh, Bemidji, Minnesota. And uh, it's, a, it's a lake. They have a, a little rock uh, cro- uh, crossing across the the Mississippi as it flows out of the lake. And they say that you can uh, walk across the Mississippi river at that point. But uh, really it's just a tiny little Creek that you might find uh, in the backyard of uh, somebody's farm or something like that. It's uh, you know, the first three uh, really three or four days were spent, uh, you know, fighting through swamp and super thick vegetation and just trying to find where the Creek flowed. Uh, there's lots of times where I had to stand up in the boat and look over thick weed beds just to determine where uh, where the water was flowing. So I was curious about that. I, I am almost there. I keep on scrolling the map, scrolling <laughs> the map. It looks like getting started could have been a little bit dicey, kind of tough. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, certainly in low water uh, as it was when I started Um it's just bog, really. It's just a big swamp, uh, lots of uh, wild rice and uh, all kinds of waterfowl and uh, pretty rem- remote in terms of uh, wilderness. Not super remote, but uh, uh, not much around. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's really just fighting through thick vegetation. There's lots of times where you have to get out of your boat and walk it and pull it through swamp. And uh, uh, it was really neat, uh, neat experience, though, and beautiful country up there. At what point did it start to feel like, okay, this is actually truly navigable. I can just, I can just go now. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, after Lake Bemidji, which is in Bemidji, Minnesota. Uh, after that, it, it was uh, it was wider, but still not not to the point that you would think of as the Mississippi River. It was navigable, but uh, I wouldn't say you really truly, uh, you know, felt like it was the Mississippi until. Um, I don't know, maybe halfway through uh, Minnesota, several hundred miles in. Wow. And now you're on the big water, and you've been on the big water for weeks. Um, That's got to be a totally different experience. And, you know, as you travel the river, you mentioned that so far it's been pretty pristine. We know it gets dirtier as you go down, so the river's going to change. The flow is changing. The scenery is changing. Can you encapsulate how that's been for you so far? Yeah, it's it's been um, it's been wild. Yeah. Seeing, seeing, especially thinking uh, thinking back to the headwaters and that swamp and bog. In, in terms of what I'm looking at uh, right now, as I'm speaking to you, Kurt, uh, it's just you know maybe 200 yards, uh, maybe even longer uh, across, and all kinds of different currents within the river. Uh, huge eddies, um, really just big, big water, and uh, it's certainly. Uh, not clear water. It's, it's, it's a bit muddy at this point, but, uh, man, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really big water, I guess is the only way I, I could describe it. Uh, you know, there's barges, uh, going back and forth. And, and as I've got South of St. Louis, the barge traffic is picked up and these are massive, uh, shipping containers essentially being pushed, 
th- through the river and they create quite the wake. So that's its own, uh, its own little game and obstacle in itself is, uh, is staying clear of those barges, but, uh, it keeps it interesting. Mm. Well, some of the logistics, did you have to pull any permits to do this? No, no, it, it was very, uh, pretty straightforward in terms of logistics, which is, uh, part of the reason why, uh, why I was interested in it and, and was able to do it without too much planning. Uh, yeah, you know, for the most part, there's towns along the way. So I usually take about five, uh, five to seven days worth of food with me and, and water at a time. Uh, and then I'll stop into, uh, into a town, uh, for instance, Cairo, uh, I'll try and stop in Cairo there at the confluence of the Ohio and the Mississippi and pick up some more food and, uh, and water and, um, no permits necessary. Uh, just hop in your boat and, and start floating. Mm. Have you wished that you had a, a marine radio of some sort to let the <laughs> the barges know you're there? Do you need that? Yeah, I do actually have a small handheld marine radio, and uh, it was certainly useful. Uh, so for there's 29 locks and dams on the Mississippi, and uh, I've gotten south of those now. Uh, those ended in St. Louis. And basically, it's it's similar to the Panama Canal, where uh, there's a big, uh, two massive steel gates on either side. There's a big dam and then a chamber. Uh, they fill the chamber up with water and lower or raise the level of that water uh, to either the upstream side or the downstream side, which are at different elevations. Uh, and uh, on that marine radio, uh, certainly call into those dams as you pull up to them, uh, locks and uh, give them a heads up that you're coming through and, uh, they'll raise the water level for you or they'll let you know that, Hey, we got a, we have a barge, uh, in the lock at the moment. It'll be an hour or so until we can get you through. So then you relax a little bit and, uh, and wait for the barge to go through. But yeah, you get, you get locked through all of those. And, uh, that's, uh, that's quite the process too. Just the engineering that goes into those, uh, those locks and dams is pretty remarkable. Well, you're in a pretty small craft <laughs> for those. <laughs> Do they uh, make you share it with other boats, or are they are they willing to flood that just for your canoe? Yeah, it's pretty wild. A lot of people are surprised with that as well. Uh, yeah, they, there's uh, they'll they'll flood it for uh, for any boat, uh, one canoe, uh, you know, a, a fishing boat, or uh, you know, a massive uh, barge that's a thousand feet long. Uh, they, they can impede traffic, so they'll they'll do it for anybody. And uh, yeah, you just float on by. It's a little intimidating, certainly for the first couple uh, <laughs> for, the, for, for the first couple locks, but uh, then you get used to it, and uh, and it's just uh, just a normal process. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a pretty cool experience. And you've made it through the last of those now, so now it's just slow, free flowing river. Yeah, free flowing all the way uh, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. So it's been 65 days so far. Are you on schedule or is it taking longer or, or has it gone faster than you thought? Yeah, I kind of anticipated it to take about 90 days. Um, I would say it's gone a touch slower than I thought. Um, but mostly that's just due to the generosity of people that I've met along the way. It's been, uh, that's one of the big takeaways of the trip I've had so far. I've just met so many amazing people that, uh, have taken me into their homes, uh, you know, fed me, let me stay with them, complete strangers, uh, uh, you know, giving me showers and laundry. And, uh, so, so I've definitely taken, uh, taken folks up on, uh, on those offers and that slowed me up a little bit, but, uh, 
I'm not really on much of a schedule. I'm out here for the adventure. So meeting all those people has been a pretty cool experience. How fun is that? And I'm just looking here. It looks like you're close to two-thirds. So you're not really that far behind schedule, especially because you might make better time going on from here. Yep. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not too far behind schedule. I'm thinking... I'm thinking I'm still in the wheelhouse of, of that 90 days, but uh, maybe more towards 100 days. But, you know, in, in the large uh, scheme of things, it's not too fair on base. Okay, right on. Hey, friends. It's really been fun the last couple of weeks watching the early season snow start to blanket the high peaks. Winter is on the way. Bentgate Mountaineering is ready to help get you prepared for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear, so you can get your skis and your boots there, as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts, so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. Tell us, if you would, what it's been like so far, the, the routine of it, and what, what your average day feels like being on the river. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'll usually wake up uh, uh, sometime around 7, uh, 8 o'clock or so. Um, you know, typically I'm, I'm looking for large sandbars to camp on. Um, lately, I've been looking for sandbars specifically with driftwood so I can... Uh, I can make a big bonfire at night, uh, which is uh, always soothing and, and fun. Uh, but yeah, usually I'll wake up, uh, make some oatmeal coffee on a little camping stove that I have, uh, pack up the boat, uh, hit the water anywhere between around 8.30 and 10.30, um, and paddle throughout the day. Uh, there's all kinds of currents, islands, and uh, just reading the water and reading the river is... Uh, is, is really interesting and fun for me. It's similar to picking a route up a mountain. Uh, you know, you, you pick your line and uh, try and pick the best line down the river that you can. Uh, so I'll paddle throughout the day, uh, snack. I usually don't stop for lunch. I'll snack uh, some peanut butter crackers and uh, maybe an apple or so uh, as I'm floating. And then usually look for camp. Uh, again, trying to find sandbars doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you're uh, uh, in some thick forests and not always the best campsites, but, uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, so I'll look for that some, try and find it around sunset or, uh, you know, sometime around sunset, uh, before sunset, set up camp, make some dinner, uh, make a fire and, uh, hang out for a little bit, enjoy the stars, uh, enjoy the sounds and, and views of the water and, uh, call it a night and repeat. Hmm. 
So I know that when you first start an adventure, everything is new. And then after a while, you get into a routine and it starts to feel more familiar. But you also get farther removed from the life you had before the adventure, right? And it, it resets the timing. It resets the meter and the way that life seems to flow. So how has that impacted you? Oh, it's been, uh, it's been great, Kurt. That's, uh, that's certainly one of the reasons that I wanted to get on this trip is to, uh, to recharge and, and refresh. And, uh, it, it's, it's been great. I mean, uh, as you know, and I'm sure lots of the listeners who, uh, who get out, whether for a weekend, uh, a night or whatever it might be a longer trip, uh, man, it, it just, I guess refreshing is the best word that I can use just to be in the rhythms of, uh, you know, of, of your natural body, you, know, you eat when you're hungry, you wake up when you wake up, you, you go to bed when you're tired. Uh, you know, it's, uh, th- there's no external factors causing you, uh, to do this or do that or rush here or rush there. Uh, it's all on your own time, on your own clock. If I want to wake up and, uh, and push for a big day and do a sunrise paddle, I can do it. If I want to wake up and take it slow and, read a book for a bit in the morning and, uh, get off to a slow start. There's no harm, no foul there. And, uh, really the only, uh, the only factor that, you know, inhibits, uh, a day is, is weather, uh, wind, rain, uh, wind is ba- basically the biggest one. Um, I've only had a few days where I've been windbound, but, uh, certainly if you get a big, uh, a big headwind, it can make paddling a bit tough. Mm. So canoes are pretty light, and they, they kind of turn into a sail as the wind goes whipping over the surface <laughs> of the water. I've had to try to paddle across a lake with a headwind like that. And, man, if you get the bow just a little out of alignment with that headwind, it tries to spin you around, you know? So that's going to yeah, be killer. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's tough. Um, one thing that I learned, though, and actually kind of a funny story, uh, in uh winona minnesota i uh i stopped there and i uh ran into by happenstance i was staying with a with a guy and his son who i met uh the first day that i started my trip at the headwaters and uh he introduced me to the owner of uh, winona canoe company which is a large uh, canoe manufacturer they just so happened to have their 50th anniversary sale that weekend that i was in town so we went to the sale and, uh, uh, the guy in, who I was staying with introduced me to the owner of the, uh, of the company. We got to chatting for a while. I'm a bit of a boat nerd. He's obviously a boat nerd. He's made, uh, made great canoes for 50 years. And, mm. you know, he asked me, uh, what I was paddling and long story short, uh, he ended up, uh, giving me a, a new boat to try and, and test out. Uh, so I was there on a Saturday. I planned to leave on Sunday. And, uh, he says, all right, you take this boat out, uh, on Sunday, see what you think about it. Come back and talk to me on Monday and we'll go from there. So I, uh, extended my day an extra stay, uh, I extended my stay an extra day and, uh, paddled the boat. Boat felt great. Uh, it was way lighter to carbon fiber boat, uh, solo boat. And, uh, went back to him on Monday. We, we chatted. He gave me a tour of the, of the entire Winona canoe factory and uh, we talked boats for a while, and, uh, and basically he hooked me up with, uh, with this brand new, uh, just pristine boat. But, but one of the cool things that I learned 
from speaking with him is that, uh, you know, there, there's a thing called tilt. So depending on how you load your boat, whether it's in the front or, or the, the bow or the stern, the front or the back of the boat, you can mitigate some of that blowing, uh, that occurs. Um, and, and, and as you mentioned, that, that sail, that, uh, like effect that can happen in the wind. So, uh, it, it was interesting to pick his brain and, uh, and talk to him and, and, pick up uh, some new tactics that have helped me along the way as well. So I'm just guessing here because I've not messed around with it much, but if you front load the canoe a little bit more, does that help you to keep it into the wind? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you front load your canoe in a headwind, uh, it obviously makes a a lower profile uh, and and has less surface area for that, for that wind to blow you around. And likewise for a tailwind, if you load the back of your canoe, uh, it'll be easier to paddle uh, in, in a tailwind. Awesome. And what about the currents? I mean, you're getting to big water now. I mean, there's some there's some crazy currents in there, and it's not like whitewater currents. These are kind of like boiling currents and eddies where the river is, is changing flows. What does that do to a light craft like a canoe? Yeah, it can definitely toy with it. Um, it's something that I'm always uh, cognizant of and looking for. Uh, those boils, like you said, especially since I've been here south of St. Louis, They've gotten pretty big, and they seem to come out of nowhere. Uh, so those are uh, a bit tricky. They can definitely kind of pull your boat one way or the other. So if you're not expecting them, it can uh, definitely cause a hazard. Uh, but for the most part, I try and stay in the main current, in the main channel is what they call it here on the Mississippi, uh, which for the most part is uh, flows pretty good um, and doesn't cause too many issues. But uh, – you know, like, like I said, uh, s- similar to mountain climbing or uh, or hiking or whatever, you choose the route that looks best to you, and, and that's kind of the part that I love about it is reading the water and reading the river and trying to choose that route that uh, that looks best and has the least amount of turbulence and, and the least uh, the least amount that'll hang me up. Have you had instances where it felt like you were about to be capsized? Only one. Uh, it was actually not too long ago in St. Louis. Uh, the Port of St. Louis is what they call the section of river uh, that runs through downtown St. Louis, and that's because uh, it really is a busy port with all kinds of barges and uh, shipping containers moving around, uh, you know, moving coal, sand, uh, all kinds of commodities. And it's a pretty narrow section there, and uh, it was pretty turbulent through the whole time. And at one point I was, uh, paddling and, uh, I was trying to stay close to the shore, uh, to, towards one shore to avoid a barge that was coming awfully close. And of course, as you get closer to a shore, the, the bottom of the river gets shallower, which in turn causes the waves to break. So as I was paddling toward close to that shore, I, I turned my boat instead of facing head on into the wave and going over it, I tried to take it from the, uh, from the stern, from the back of the boat and got caught, uh, almost sideways. And there was definitely a split second there that I thought I was going over. Luckily I was able to, uh, keep her upright and took on a little bit of water, but, uh, yeah, that one definitely got, got the heart pumping a little bit. Mm. And you mentioned you're trying to stay in the main current. Of course, that's where a lot of the barges are too. Do you feel like you have time to get out of the way if one's coming at you? Yeah, for the most part, yes. Luckily, they're not, they don't move super fast and they're big, massive, uh, big, massive boats and, and containers. So you can see them coming from a ways away. Um, so I, I, most of the time you have time, but, uh, 
sometimes in those narrow stretches, uh, like for instance, the Port of St. Louis, there's just not really too many places you can go. So you just kind of have to, uh, get by, I guess, try, try and figure it out and, uh, point your nose, do into the, uh, do into the rollers and, uh, don't try and take them broadside. Mm. Have there been any instances where the barge pilot or captain saw you and had to shut it down? Not that I know of. I, I, uh, I, I did monitor the Marine radio through that port of St. Louis and, uh, I did hear, uh, and conversed, uh, uh, with one of the barge captains, uh, as he mentioned, uh, he gave a shout out just to all the other barges around and said, Hey, just want to give a heads up. We got a kayaker coming through here. The port of St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gave him a quick thank you back. Uh, hey, captain. Thank you. This is a, uh, this is kayaker here. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, other than that, I, I haven't noticed too much. No, they're, they're pretty big. I don't think they always even see me pretty small vessel out there. And, uh, you know, they're trying to do their job and just get there the quickest they can. So I don't think they're too concerned about me, to be honest. Well, you're likely to pick up a little bit more barge traffic as you continue South. Um, but that said, how frequently are you meeting a barge or being chased by a barge right now? <laughs> Pretty frequently, uh, certainly uh, maybe five to ten a day, if not more. Um, at this point, it's definitely picked up since I've been south of St. Louis and that lock and dam system has ended. Uh, it's just kind of a part of it. And to be honest, it's not that big of a, uh, of a concern, as I said, because they're pretty big and you can get out of the way pretty easily. Uh, they're not moving super fast, but um, they're, they're definitely around and it's just... Uh, part of life out here on the mississippi wild well how many hours a day are you paddling now Uh, it really all depends but usually uh usually let's see 10 till about four or five so what is that uh six seven hours or so and how many miles a day do you think you're making well, I'm picking up more speed as I as I'm going south, and I'll continue to do that as well. But uh, for much of the trip, um, a average day would be anywhere to about 20 to 30 miles. But uh, here south of St. Louis, I've noticed that I've been picking up more speed, so uh, bigger days definitely come with more ease. Hmm. Well, here's one of my favorite questions for people that have done a big trip like this. You know, we always have a set of expectations, and then we find out our expectations are wrong. They're always wrong, but (laughs) what has been one of your biggest surprises and maybe give us a positive surprise, but also one that you thought was a negative surprise. Sure. I would say the biggest, uh, positive surprise, Kurt has been the generosity of people on the river. It's been unbelievable. Uh, how many people have a taken me into their home, uh, offered to feed me, give me a shower, do some laundry, numerous, numerous people, uh, and B just paddling. I mean, there was one stretch where I was paddling, uh, in Iowa around LeClaire, Iowa. And, uh, it was a weekend. Lots of folks were out, uh, you know, enjoying the water, uh, in their boats. And, uh, there was one section where there was a big sandy beach and lots of people were out, uh, just enjoying the day. And I must've had five or six different people stop me and say, Hey, you know, where are you headed? And then once they figure out that, uh, I'm going all the way south to the Gulf, you know, oh, do you need anything? Uh, are you hungry? One guy was up on a hill, uh, 
he was had the grill fired up and he yells down, uh, "Hey, if you want a brat, come on up. I'll feed you." And uh, <laughs> right on. And, and 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 you know, people offering to, uh, like I said, just give me a shower or or feed or, or whatever it is. Uh, people asking, you know, do you need anything? It's been uh, it's been really really cool and neat to to see the generosity of folks and uh, certainly met some uh, really cool and, and amazing people uh, along the way as well. Mm. What about a negative surprise? Negative surprise, huh? I I don't know if it's just my uh, you know I tend to try and not focus on the negatives, but I can't think of too many negatives. I guess wind wind has been pretty steady. Uh, it's just kind of been a, a part of it. Uh, had headwinds for quite some time. Um, I don't know if it's as much as a surprise, but. Uh, rain and clouds you know i had about a week straight of rain and wind and clouds and that got me uh that was probably the lowest i've been on the trip uh just mentally wasn't super low by any means but uh it's tough when it's been a week straight of rain and wind and uh and you're wet and you can't dry anything out and came down with a little bit of a cold Mm. but uh that's kind of all part part of the uh the experience so i don't know if i could even maybe classify that as a negative there was one night where uh the the water was rising uh the river was rising due to a bunch of rain uh up up river that i didn't realize water was rising and uh, i was camping on a sandbar and i woke up in the middle of the night and uh to go to the bathroom and i poked my head out of my tent and my boat was just about floating away. The oh. water had risen, risen so much. The nose of my boat was uh, still on the sandbar, but the, the stern was floating in the water. So that was a bit of a shocker. So I get up, drag my boat into the middle of the sandbar. Then I noticed that the water was uh, encroaching in on my tent. So I, uh, I, of course, in the middle of the night, I didn't want to move my tent unless I absolutely had to. So I set out... Uh, five gallon bucket and I told myself all right I'm gonna kind of wake up in an hour and if the water is getting close to this five gallon bucket then I'll have to sure enough I poked my head out an hour later five gallon bucket was surrounded by water and at this point the river had risen and was maybe three or four feet away from uh, away from my tent so I had to pick up my tent move it uh, higher up on the sandbar uh, next to my boat uh, I thought that I was safe at that point. And then uh, by the time morning came around, I heard waves crashing in and I thought, man, that water sounds real close. So I woke up again and peeked my head out of the tent. And sure enough, the whole sandbar was uh, pretty much gone, <laughs> engulfed in water. And uh, my tent and boat were standing on uh, the last dry spots of the whole, uh, the whole <laughs> sandbar. So uh, I quickly woke up and without any breakfast or <laughs> Or much, uh, much else packed up and uh, got out of there as quick as I could. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I wanted to ask about camping. I know that people are going to ask that. Is there any challenge finding a place to pitch your tent where you feel safe? It's been surprisingly easy, uh, especially uh, in, in the lock and dam system. So in northern Minnesota, for, for all intents and purposes, there's three main sections of the river. There's uh, the northern stretch, which is uh, the headwaters to Minneapolis. Then there's Minneapolis to uh, St. Louis, which is the middle Mississippi. And then from St. Louis to New Orleans, uh, essentially the lower Mississippi. And they all have 
little bit different uh, characteristics. Uh, the northern stretch, there's uh, the DNR up there. Minnesota does a great job of uh, they have lots of established campsites, uh, backcountry uh, campsites um, where they have like a fire pit and a picnic table. Um, so that stretch, super easy to find camp spots. Uh, and then from Minneapolis to St. Louis, uh, all the islands, uh, that are created from the lock and dam system, there's tons and tons of, uh, just real big islands, uh, are all public. Um, so you can camp on any of those islands, uh, and those islands, uh, lots of sandbars and, uh, trees and forested areas. So, uh, not too difficult there. And then moving south, uh, from St. Louis, um, to where I'm at right now. And I assume we'll continue as I, as I continue, uh, continue south towards New Orleans, uh, lots of big sandbars and, uh, sandy beaches. And, uh, those have been, uh, great camping spots and especially the ones with, uh, with lots of driftwood as we can, uh, pretty easily make a big bonfire. Oh yeah. Well, it just sounds so fun. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tac.com or retailers near you. You know, there's something so romantic about the Mississippi River, and I don't know if it's Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn, you know, or if yeah. it's just all the stories that we've heard about the riverboats and, you know, how the Mississippi was the major highway for the central U.S. for so long. Uh, but going back and reliving that history, and, and in part, you're really just in the midst of that heavy historic part of the river right now, but I guess the... The question that I'm coming to here is, how's it been to encounter this great nation from its mightiest river by going down the river at the river's pace? It's It's been beyond beyond words, Kurt. That, that's part of the uh, a big pull for the Mississippi and for doing this trip was uh, to, to be able to see the country through its, you know, through the heart of it, through, through the main artery of this uh of this country, which is the Mississippi river. And it has been, uh, it's been amazing. I mean, uh, the people, as I mentioned, have, uh, you know, that's been a huge, uh, a huge plus all the kind folk that I've met so far, uh, all the cool places I've seen. I stayed on a, on an Island, uh, an inhabited Island of the Mississippi two of them. Actually, I stayed at one, uh, Nicolette Island, which is just off of, uh, uh, downtown Minneapolis. I ran into a couple, uh, travelers there, 
who were on the water as well and offered to put me up for the evening. Uh, so I stayed on an inhabited island there. I stayed on an island called uh, Sabula, Iowa. I bet you didn't know that Iowa had a uh, island town, but <laughs> <laughs> indeed they do. And uh, there's a little trivia fact for you. Iowa has an island. And uh, I stayed on that island and uh, I stopped in Hannibal, Missouri, which is the, uh, the home of Mark Twain. And uh, that was neat to see uh, the history and all the Mark Twain stuff there and uh, see riverboats going by every now and again and, and the barge traffic. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been real, real cool to be able to experience uh, all the history and, and, and be a part of it. Well, it looks like your next major city is going to be Memphis. Any special plans for Memphis when you get there? You know, uh, it's funny. I, I have a, a Facebook page, uh, a blog that I've got going that if folks are interested, they can check it out. It's uh, on Facebook, Buffalo Roamer, B-U-F-F-A-L-O, Roamer, all one word. And I just had a gentleman uh, contact me on that and said that he'd been, uh, I don't know him from Tom, but said that he'd been uh, following the blog and uh, was interested in the story and and, uh, and would be willing to uh, to put me up when I get to Memphis. So, I'm going to take them up on that offer, I hope, and uh, enjoy some barbecue and uh, tip a couple cold ones and uh, and uh, enjoy a stay with uh, with some more nice river folk. Oh, that sounds fun, too. Well, I tell you what, I, I just can't imagine what that is like for you. And I know that probably our listeners are out there saying, tell me more. I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> this just sparks the imagination. It really does. Has the trip so far been what you expected? I mean, is it all that you hoped it would be? It's It's been all and more. I mean, uh, it's uh, a lot of the things that we've hit on, uh, just the the motions of, uh, of getting out of that, you know, day-to-day grind, if you will, or, or day-to-day life in terms of waking up, going to work, going to bed, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and doing city life, if you will, uh, compared to just the, uh, the, the natural tendency of eat when you're hungry, sleep when you're tired, uh, all, all those types of things has been great. Uh, and, and the surprising thing to me, I guess one of the most, uh, pleasantly surprising things has been the physical beauty of the river. I mean, uh, the area from about Hastings, Minnesota down through Iowa, they call it the driftless area. And uh, there was no glaciers in that area to flatten out, uh, like much of the Midwest is flat farmland. In this area, there's big, tall bluffs and rocks protruding and uh, uh, lots of topography and just stunning, just absolutely gorgeous area. Um, and the wildlife, eagles, uh, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of bald eagles. That's probably the most, uh, the most wildlife that I've seen is bald eagles, deer, beavers, uh, fish, uh, you name it. I saw a black bear swimming across the Mississippi, uh, wow. not too far, not too far ahead of me up in, uh, in Northern Minnesota. That was really cool. And, uh, it's just that, that combined with, uh, you know, the history of the river and, uh, and, and meeting folks along the way. Uh, it's just, it's been amazing. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to, uh, making it to Memphis and to New Orleans and everything in between. And then, uh, tasting salt water in the Gulf of Mexico. So I was going to ask, how far are you going to go? What is the end of the trip? <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, in my head at the moment, I'd like to paddle uh, south of New Orleans into the Gulf of Mexico. And I'd like to go out far enough that uh, I don't really see the mixing 
of the Mississippi and the ocean anymore. I like to go until the ocean's blue and I can look back and kind of see the, the dirty water of the Mississippi entering the Gulf uh, and hop out of the boat and take a swim in the salt water and, uh, <laughs> and call it good. Wow, that's going to be a ways out there. That's yeah, a... I know it. Yeah, yeah it, it is. But uh, I figure if I'm going all all the way, I might as well uh, might as well do it right. <laughs> well, that's really cool. I'm looking at the map now at the Mississippi Delta as it goes out into the Gulf, and it looks like once you get past New Orleans, you still have over a hundred more miles to go. Yep. And uh, if you got on the wrong channel, man, you could get lost in there. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways, uh, a lot of different ways to do it, and there's actually a popular uh, a popular route as well that diverts off of uh, north of Baton Rouge. It's called the Afflafalacha, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, that's a popular route that people take as well, and that uh, that diverts you so you don't paddle through Baton Rouge or New Orleans. But uh, supposedly that section is a more of a wilderness. Uh, wilderness stretch and that's popular route as well but yeah it's uh it's just quite a way south of new orleans and uh not a whole bunch down there as well in terms of people or towns or anything like that so uh be interesting to see uh (laughs) what happens once i make it into the ocean i'm hoping to be able to maybe hitch a ride with a uh with a fisherman or some sort of vessel coming back up upstream so i don't have to paddle (laughs) Paddle back up to New Orleans. <laughs> wow. And at that point, the Mississippi River's got to be over a mile wide. I mean, this is a massive body of water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it gets, it gets real, real big and, uh, and deep. And actually, I, I believe uh, with all those channels, it, it might actually uh, thin out. It's, it's an interesting river in that St. Louis to New Orleans or Memphis, it gets super wide. But then as it gets closer to the... Uh, to the Gulf, I think it actually thins out uh, surprisingly, which is kind of counterintuitive, but uh, I'll find out. Mm. Cool stuff, man. Well, let's go full circle. We started this show by saying, why did you do it, right? And and what got you out the door? But I want to go full circle and talk about this idea of adventure and how it's impacting your life. And uh, why do adventure? It sounds like this isn't your first time around the block doing some really cool trips but why do you do adventure what's it what's it for man there's uh there's a whole host of things and it's hard to distill into words uh but for me it's just something in my gut uh when i when i first started uh thinking about this trip uh you know i i put it off for a while and then it just kept uh kept coming up in my gut and i would think about it and just tense up and get so excited and uh it's just something i love and the reason that i love it uh is i think similar to uh, the reason a lot of folks uh find a calling in in the woods or in the mountains or whatever it may be is you learn so much about yourself i mean i'm out here by myself 65 days uh you know when, when things hit the fan there's only one person to get me out of it, uh, and that's me for the most part. And uh, you, you learn what you can take. You learn how to push yourself. Uh, you learn just so much about yourself. I mean, uh, the ways in which you function, the ways in which you function best, and uh, also gives you time to, to think and, uh, and kind of distill your thoughts. And 
and maybe plan uh, different opportunities and, and think about what's important. And uh, that's also something I think adventure uh, does for me is that uh, it's hard to explain to folks who don't, who haven't done it or who don't understand it's kind of, yeah, you have to show them, I think, but it, it's uh, when you go, you know, 60 days, I've had plenty of showers, uh, but, but when you go 60 days without a shower or, or a week without a shower, that hot water running down your back when you finally get one is so much better. When you finally do sit down for a steak dinner, that steak tastes so much richer than it did if you have it every night of the week or, or if it's a, a comfort that you're used to. And uh, so I think in the same way uh, with the steak, it's with people you love as well. When you're, when you're away from those that you love, you're able to, uh, to realize what matters and, and to, to realize uh, that those folks are important in your life and that once you're off the trip, you want to spend more time with them. Mm. Perspective, huh? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great word to describe it. Lots of perspective. I've long argued that adventure does improve people's lives, health, stress relief, life experiences. And one of my favorites I keep talking about is that when we have an adventure, that becomes a signpost in our memory. That year, I remember. You know, that trip, I remember, you know. but absolutely. I think that few people ever embark on an, an adventure of the magnitude of what you're doing. And uh, I think it's kudos to you for doing it. It sounds fascinating. And man, we'd love to have you back on when you finish, when you taste that salt water. <laughs> we need to hear the rest of the trip. Got to know how it went. Yeah, absolutely. I- I'd love to hop back on and uh, and share how the rest went. And also, uh, uh, it's been fun. I've been working with uh, with some classrooms. I've been working with four classrooms, two in South Dakota where I live and two uh, in my hometown of Illinois, the same middle school that I went to between fourth and sixth graders. And, uh, and I guess that, that's been the other two surprises uh, for me is when I first embarked on this trip, I kind of thought that I was doing it alone. I thought that, uh, you know, I'm going out here by myself. I kind of figured most people would dismiss my, uh, <laughs> my ambition as, you know, oh, he's, you know, some sort of hippie or something along those lines. But uh, in working with these kids, uh, it's been unbelievable to see their excitement and their inspiration from just from me sharing my stories with them. And uh, it's it's been uh, refueling and refreshing to me to see their excitement. And I think for them as well, it's been it's been neat to to be exposed to somebody who's uh, pushing the limits and 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 trying to follow their dreams and doing what they love. And, uh, and in that same respect as well, uh, this blog that I've been doing on Facebook, again, uh, Buffalo Roamer is where you can find me. Um, I've been so surprised by how many people have taken interest in, in the trip and in the writing. Um, I've had multiple people tell me, uh, you know, they look forward to reading it every day. And at, that blew me away. Um, because as I said, I kind of figured this was just something I was doing for myself for the sake of adventure. And then once you figure out that uh, people are inspired by it and people are moved by it, uh, it's uh, it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving both for them and for myself. So it, it's it's been pretty neat. Mm, very very neat. Yeah, that's very very cool. Well, man, we burned through our time, and I would love to to ask you a dozen other questions, but I guess can you uh, close us out here with an account of something that happened on the river? 
that it can be funny, it could be inspirational, it could be uh, when things didn't go right, but just uh, give us a story about something that stood out in your memory. Sure. Um, there's been so many things. Uh, again, the, the people I've met, uh, the, the gentleman who owns Winona Canoe, Mike, uh, meeting him was, was just amazing. But uh, I guess one of the things that sticks out to me is uh, you might hear some wind in the background here. It's picked up a bit. But uh, one of the things that, that sticks out to me is some of the tough days. Uh, on day about 45 or so, I was near Muscatine, Iowa, and the wind was roaring. Uh, the rain was dumping sideways. It had been raining for a week straight. Uh, I was coming down with a little bit of a sickness. And I was lying in my tent. This was the same night that I had to pull the... Uh, the canoe and tent away from the, uh, from the oh, sand no. and, and the, uh, the wind was blowing my rain fly in my tent up against the inside shelter and, and, uh, rain was dripping from the outside into the tent. So I had a little pool of water inside of my tent. I'm lying there thinking, you know, gosh, this is terrible. What am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, the next day continued to rain. I was cold. I was wet. Uh, just kind of down in the dumps a little bit. And that night, the following day, uh, that, that, that evening, as I was paddling, the clouds began to break. The sun came out and a beautiful orange sunset painted the whole sky. I was camping on a, uh, on a big sandbar at the time. I laid all my stuff out to dry and I kicked my feet up and I thought, man, this is great. This is why we do it. Struggle. There's a, a big thing in our today's society. I think people don't want to struggle and don't want to face adversity, but that's what, uh, that's what strengthens you. And, uh, when I saw that sunrise after, or that sunset and, uh, knew that tomorrow would be a clear day after a week of rain straight, boy, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a great feeling. I still smile thinking about it right now. And, uh, just knowing how cold and wet I was and that tomorrow was going to be a great day. It was uh, pretty powerful. Mm, again, perspective. That's what it's all about, man. It's about getting out there and having those life experiences and finding out what you're made of and then gaining a fresh appreciation for stuff that we might otherwise take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. That's the name of the game. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man, for carving out some time in your busy rowing schedule to be on the Adventure Sports Podcast. We've thoroughly enjoyed our time with you today. Absolutely, Kurt. Appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to listening to uh, to future episodes as I'm cruising down the mighty miss. Right on, man. And let's uh, hook up once you're done. we got to find out the rest of the story. So. All right, buddy. Sounds like a plan. All right. And for all the listeners out there, thanks again for listening today. And until the next show, get out there. Have some fun. Coming up on Monday's episode, Nancy Pfeiffer is here to talk about her solo journey across Patagonia on horseback, as well as a 75-mile kite skiing trip across Anwar. Until then, get out and have some fun. Have some fun.